After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. Hi, everybody. It's Mind Rolling Podcast. I'm Raghu Marcus with David Silver. Hello. On a, a beautiful fall morning here. Uh, well, we're not here together, but we're here now in the same this is, moment. This is a momentous day, Raghu, because it's October 21st, 2015, which was the day that they went to on Back to the Future in 1985 in the DeLorean car, if you remember. Yeah. It was October 21st, 2015. Well, who cares, though? <laughs> I mean, okay. I mean, if you can give me a reason to care, I will. Thank you for I that, benign. Well, I mean, what they're doing on the news is saying, you know, what happened in that movie that has actually happened? It's happening now. They actually yeah, predicted right. it. Kind of like what yeah, Skype Isaac... is one of them. They talk kind of they didn't use that word, but things like that. Uh -huh. So I thought we'd start on an elevated level. Yeah, very. Um, <laughs> I um, I want to let's quickly do our little uh, advertisement, which is no advertisement. Um, and I will admit, I I'm I'm completely have fallen down on making some suggestions for Amazon. Although I, you know, so you guys out there, the bookmarked uh, MindPod or Mind Rolling on Amazon, uh, we can give you a tip on something, you know, to actually buy. Uh, yeah. Well, I don't. Neither David and I, we looked at each other and went, oh, shit, we don't have But at anything. least you were in India, in the jungles of India. I was here. And I do have one suggestion, which oh. just occurred to me. And I think we should get her on the on the podcast. I really do. It's a book called Animal Wisdom, Learning from the Spiritual Lives of Animals by Linda Bender. Linda Bender. And the recommendations on the book are from Jane Goodall, Deepak Chopra, and Rupert Sheldrake. And uh, uh, it's, it's quite a book. And she's, you know, she's really making very incredible points about what we learn from the, the vibe, the zen of animals. Oh. And we've had requests, Raghu, to do a show about pets, and maybe we should do it. At some yeah, point. actually, I found some a couple of things myself. I had the scientific, uh, Amer the magazine Scientific American or American Science. I can't remember, um, but they did a whole issue on dogs and cats and the reality of how we project onto these animals and our animals' uh, emotions and feelings, and what they have done tests about what they actually do feel how they actually do relate with their owners and so on it's it's uh, okay let's do that we'll do that yeah okay. yeah yeah um so i have um 
Oh, by the way, can we just say, because it's happening on, on a weekly basis and it's enormously helping us, and if we can just get to another level with it, it's people doing recurring donations, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, nine dollars is our key because it's, it's the uh, derivative of 108, uh, the number of the guru, and uh, if people continue to do that, um, more of you, uh, it, it, and we're not talking about just supporting David and I, what we're doing here at Mind Rolling, we're talking about the whole network, we're talking about all of these teachers, Jack, Cornfield and Ramdas and Krishnadas and Sharon Salzberg, Lama Suryadas and Joseph Goldstein. We're talking about uh, the whole kit and caboodle um, of being able to raise enough money through donations through Amazon, and we're going to have some terrific stuff. We're, we're opening a store on the site. We're going to have our Life and Balance course. We're going to have our Heart Mind app. So we're going to have a lot of a lot of different things to participate in. But essentially, what all of you know, all of these guys are getting on all these teachers and and can't do the kind of traveling that they do, which is very, very difficult. And so, at this point, this is one of the things that uh, we projected to them and said, "Look, if we can get enough of an audience and we can engender enough support from people uh, to want to support what uh, teachings and what podcasts are coming through, uh, then uh, hopefully we can get them off the road a little bit. So uh, please continue. Uh, the, the, the recurring donations are, are essential, and um, whatever you can do, we'd appreciate. So that's enough of that. I want to talk about Amazon uh, in, in very oblique reference, and this is sort of a sci-fi Amazon uh, thing. Uh <laughs> If you believe this, I want to be able to recommend this one day. And so I, I started out by saying, I, as everybody knows, I do go to India frequently every year. So does Krishnadas, our good friend. And uh, you're likely to encounter little, little guys in your stomach. Little, little guys. Amoeba, all kinds of protozoa. And um, you generally have to be treated when you come back here. You can't let them they don't coexist very well because they like to eat lots of stuff and they end up eating you uh so you have to take antibiotics so you take enough antibiotics and you're going to just absolutely rip out all that good biology microbomes or whatever the hell they call it in uh, microbial balance in your stomach so I read this terrific article, and I thought to myself, wouldn't this be great if this was available on Amazon, which is banking your own stool? Now, it's sometimes good to be able to get somebody else's stool when they've got all the good stuff happening and you don't. You know what I mean? Because, you know, you're banking. It's like you'd have to bank your school stool before you go to India. So in this case, um, this is a, an incredible article about how this man... Uh, his son was in trouble from taking a lot of antibiotics, and he actually uh, used banked stool to, uh, I don't know what they do. I th yeah, they take a turkey baster and shove it back up there. Okay, this is really great uh, podcast material, right? Uh, but it, it was real. It cured his son, okay? And I know all of us that go to India, we could use something like this, but where the hell are you going to find it? It would be great if it was on Amazon. No. 
No, no, I'm, I'm just saying, kind of. It's legitimate, okay? No, I, I believe it. It's not. It's not. Um, it makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah. 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 You don't go to India that much. Maybe I could borrow some of your stool. No, the last time I went, I got. I, I oh, got you did it. get the stuff. And and Katie gave me these little, very weird-looking duck egg blue pills, which took care of it immediately. I mean, immediately. So. Right. Okay. What can you're I tell useless. You? We need people who haven't gone to India. Uh, anybody out there, if you haven't gone to India, maybe we can sign you up for the stool bank. Okay. Um, <laughs> I can't believe this. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, and one other thing. This is uh, someone said, "Hey, I haven't heard anything about the end of the world. News from the end of the world." Yeah, Brian Chalmers, our dear friend. Uh, uh, Brian. Okay. Um, yeah. So, how about this? This is about violence. They uh, they looked at all these hockey players in the NHL. And, you know, they're terrifically violent. Um, and the most violent of them come from the prairies of Canada, okay? <laughs> now, so they did a whole study about this. Um, and first of all, uh, do you know that Canadians kill 1.6 people out of every 100,000? Okay. Do you know how many in America out of every 100,000? I, I can't wait. 4.7. Five. It's, you know, it's... Uh, exponentially unbelievable um it says while canadians long ago agreed to restrict gun ownership americans are far from reaching a similar consensus by the way i'm canadian i am so proud that justin trudeau pierre trudeau's son wiped out that radically horrible right-wing uh nincompoop and you know in lieu of <laughs> i wish you'd term. express yourself more you know, strongly. I would have. Uh, I thought nincompoop was a, a better term. Anyhow, he's gone, <laughs> and Trudeau's in, and uh, it's wonderful. So uh, we liked. So those when of, those of us that are old enough remember Pierre Trudeau. Yeah, in the eighties, uh, his wife Margaret Trudeau. Yeah, who was a who bit were, batsy. Um, very charismatic leaders of of Canada and fans of Mick Jagger and Keith Richards, and actually were pretty good politicians. I think on the whole. Well, pretty he was. Peaceful. Yeah, he was great. Yeah, he was great. She was a bit of a grippy. Well, she was uh, mentally imbalanced, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. So, um, but so, uh, Dave, so uh, now that that's it's really good news. So that when Trump becomes president, you ah! you can come with me to Canada. Okay, we'll let you in. Words We're going to let you in. So words are powerful. Yeah. Um, so uh, so what they found out is the reason why there's the, these guys that are in the outlying areas of the prairies who, uh, prairies who are playing in the NHL. See, in the old days when the frontier, like in the American frontier, there were no police out there. There were no, like we had Mounties. The Mounties were out in the prairies, okay, and controlling shit. So people weren't wiping each other out like they were doing here or wiping all the Native Americans out. Um, so, but there was a certain outlying areas in the prairies where they didn't, couldn't exert their, uh, influence the Mounties. Those areas to this day have the most violent hockey players <laughs> come from that area. Wow. Can you believe that? Wow. Yeah. Anyhow, enough of that. I got to check with my son-in-law who played for Saskatchewan as a professional hockey player. Oh, really? And, um, he's never been violent since I've known him, but he doesn't play hockey anymore. Possibly the reason. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, okay, so we both have a couple of things that we want to talk about today, and 
I'm going to start first. And it's, um, we've had this conversation before, David and I, and mm. it's, it's uh, this particular, uh, these quotes that I'm going to um, excerpt are from an article that appeared in the New York Times Book Review a week ago or so. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, and it's about uh, this book called Reclaiming Conversation, The Power of Talk in a Digital Age by Sherry Turkle. The, the article is written by Jonathan uh, Franzen, and there was some really good stuff in it that I thought Dave and I could uh, discuss because uh, it's uh, there's a lot of truisms here. Our rapturous, rapturous submission. I like that to digital technology has led to an atrophying of human capacities like empathy and self-reflection. And the time has come to reassert ourselves, behave like adults, and put technology in its place. Pretty strong uh, statement, right? Yeah. Um, uh, now, you and I have talked about this a number of times, really, uh, in, in terms of the... Mm. Uh, the positive effects of technology and the net and the web and and then the negative ones and uh she um she so her new book reclaiming conversation extends her critique with less emphasis on robots and more on dissatisfaction with technology she takes their dissatisfaction her subjects as a hopeful sign and her book is straightforwardly straightforwardly a call to arms um and further, her argument derives its power from the breadth of her research and the acuity of her psychological insight. The people she interviews have adopted new technologies in pursuit of greater control only to feel controlled by them. Mm. The likably idealized cells that they've created with social media leave their real selves all the more isolated. They communicate incessantly but are afraid of face-to-face -face conversations. They worry, often nostalgically, that they're missing out on something fundamental. True. All of this, I, I believe it's really true. And I don't know, if, do you think that the scales are being tipped uh, more towards the negative in relation to this exact uh, um, conversation about that uh, there's an atrophy of our human capacities like empathy and self-reflection? I'm not sure because I think it's been going on for a long time for other reasons before social media. Um, you know, America's obsession with entertainment and being entertained. And, you know, you, you, you go on a date and you go to the movies. That was the way it was 20 years ago. And you don't talk to each other because you really want to see the movie. And then you're lucky if you have a little dinner afterwards. I don't know whether it's all about social media. My own experience is that I have connected with people that um, I'd lost touch with a very, this is a very simplistic approach to it. Um, I, Facebook worries me only because of the, the, the facile nature of the way people communicate and, and the way people take things seriously sometimes when they're just absolutely not true. Um, you know, I, I'm just not that, um, my usual arrogant self about this because my own personal experience has not been that dehumanizing. But when I, when I'm, you know, walking around and going into restaurants and, and seeing people texting and stuff all the time. Uh, I wonder about, I mean, the, the, the cliche is, and it's in every movie you see. I saw one last night where the, where the people are sitting at dinner at home 
and there's always a teenage young woman who's texting and there's always a father who goes, no texting at the table. Mm. And you see this all the time. And, you know, I no longer have small children, so I don't, you know, know about that. But, yeah, there's definitely, what can you call it? It's the, automa it's the automatic facility, the speed at which you can communicate with someone and say things which do not represent what will be happening viscerally and, and emotionally if you were sitting with them. And I think that's what she means by this kind of idealized persona, this persona that you project. Um, yeah, so, yeah, it's a problem. Uh, is it outbalanced by the, the, the ease in which you can communicate with people when, when you couldn't before? Um, I, don't, I don't know. Well, it's I honestly also, don't know. Yeah, I, I think the point she's also making is about actual conversation. Right. Um, which is put down into you know 140 characters on Twitter or it just I mean everything we do uh, with MindPod the things that we present we're always mindful gee the attention span is going to be very short so don't put up right. long stuff right. so there's so immediately we know that there's um, ADD that's endemic in the culture now I mean we know that. Um, so, uh, she says, so much of what constitutes humanity, that conversation is, is an organizing principle, so much of what constitutes humanity is threatened when we, uh, she uses very heavy words here, when uh, mm. we replace it with electronic communication, conversation presupposes solitude. Okay, for example, because right. it's in solitude that we learn to think for ourselves and develop a stable sense of self, which is essential for taking other people as they are. If we're uh -huh. unable to be separated from our smartphones, we consume other people in bits and pieces. It's as though we use them as spare parts to support our fragile selves. That's a pretty interesting comment, no? Oh, yeah, it really is. My only question is, you know, this Luddite tendency that analysts have, how far can you go back with that? Because, I mean, people really thought that radio would destroy the ability for people to communicate, that, that records, when they first came out, would stop people from having pianos in their houses and would not sit and have evenings, those quotable, you know, you're always hearing about the Victorian evenings when people would sit around the, the piano and play music or, or you know, and talk and, and, ha and have food. These critiques have been with us for over a century, since uh, Edison, really. And, um, you know, I'm sure people said the telephone was a problem because you'd call someone up instead of taking the trouble to go and see them. So one has to be a little careful about this. Um, I, I'm not just totally sold. Mm. I mean, in other words, I, I you know, I, I enjoy, um, well, no, I don't enjoy texting. But um, I enjoy the idea that we can communicate uh, via Skype and other means that we choose with people that we, we are far away from in this, in this fragmented, uh, socially upward, mobile society. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. Well, look what we're doing here. I mean, we're, we're right. Skyping. We're doing, you know, and that's why this podcast has been so much of a delight for the two of us, for all the these right. last couple of years is because we're able to have these great, it, it, it presupposes us to put together these conversations that we have over an hour, uh, you know, every week, or we're talking to other people and, and, and getting their point of view and so on. So uh, 
I think that there's a balance here. But the other thing we're, she's emphasizing is the physical contact. And, and um, mm. she talks about when you speak to people in person, you're forced to recognize their full human reality, which is where empathy begins. A recent study showed a steep decline in empathy as measured by standard psychological tests among college students in the smartphone generation. And conversation carries the risk of boredom, the condition that smartphones have taught us most to fear, which is also the condition in which patience and imagination are developed. And uh, that goes back to ADD, that goes back to uh, some of the principles of mindfulness and meditation uh, related to um, boredom. That's a good thing. That's a good thing to get yeah. there and and imagination which and creativity come from that that place of zero so uh I, i'll just say one interesting thing in my own experience um i used to have a lot of trouble uh with people especially when i was younger um where they would not get uh where i was at they thought i was angry it, just by the look on my face was a little bit well, he, David, if you, you everybody could see him uh, grinning from ear to ear now, <laughs> I, what that look is still there? Uh, no, no, no. I mean, I'm a little more expressive now than I used to be. Uh, but so back in the day, um, I get a lot of. Are you sad? Are you angry at me? And and it was something was horrible for me to deal with for a long time because I wasn't feeling any of those feelings. I just had that uh, a sampaku kind of. Uh, visage i would say so i actually in my late 20s or early 30s i visited you might remember this remember that astrologer dave we used to see in the early 80s in new york i can't remember her name yeah she was actually phenomenal she said to me listen one of what's going on with you uh, that can be cured uh, fairly uh, easily is that whenever you meet somebody initially or first getting together with them, just touch them. It could be a handshake, a hug, or just a tap on a shoulder. That will diffuse this, this energy that, that seemingly is having difficulty uh, getting out in terms of being an exchange with the other person, so that's why they're not getting you at all. So this article like reminded me of, of that and, and the way that when we do get together, in physical presence, there is an exchange that is not available through any kind of, you know, digital media whatsoever. I mean, it, this Skype is pretty good. There's no doubt about it. I mean, like Ramdas, when he wants to, he he does way less of talking to people on the phone and way more of of skyping because you know he says, especially with his aphasia. People can see his gestures, his facial facial gestures, uh, facial uh, expressions, and so on. Um, and and so this, there's a lot to this about. And I think we should think about being able to. Uh, there should be some movement. I think she's right. There should be some movement where we actually get together. That's why, uh, in terms of the spiritual path, you know, we have been told many many times by uh, our teachers. Uh, that getting together and spending time together, either chanting, meditating, talking amongst ourselves, you know, about whatever spiritual subjects and so on, eating food together consciously, 
goes a long way to supporting our uh, supporting the spiritual path. And I think in a similar way, uh, us getting together physically in in salon is not a I mean, you know, it's an old-time word, but something like that where we're purposefully getting to the, together to exchange ideas, to exchange ourselves, uh, is, uh, is something that uh, there should be some movement about that, something. Yeah, I mean, what really struck me from your quotes, Raga, was there were bits and pieces of people <clears throat> that um, the texting thing and other forms uh, tend to give us a fragmented picture of this person who chooses to say words that will, you know, stimulate something, but are not maybe anything like the essence of the... I mean, it's hard enough to know a person even when you're sitting next to them. So God knows if we completely become digitalized. And can you imagine in 50 years where holograms, forget Skype, there's going to be a person sitting in front of you with absolute very, very similitude, and eventually they'll bring in smells and, and other things. And that person will be almost indistinguishable, except you can put your hand right through them. I mean, we're at the beginning of this. Yeah. So your, your movement, which I'm going to call the Ragu Reconciliation uh, Overcoming Digitalization Movement, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, is necessary. <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing because it's ridiculous, but it, it is kind of... All of this is true, I mean, you know, and when you're thinking about 11-year-olds and 9-year-olds with iPhones going at it, um, one wonders what their, um, you know, what their skills with other people are going to be when they're at college at the age of 20. Uh, You've got to wonder about that. Yeah, you forget gotta. 9. How about 3, 4, 5-year-olds that are playing with their mother's cell phones, iPhones? Yeah. I mean, I have yeah. Uh, yeah. a couple of, a few granddaughters. And yeah, you know, one the the five year old skyping me and freaking out that I'm not available, and yelling at me in messages. She's creating you know video and audio text uh, messages on Skype. Really? Yeah. Okay. Five. So uh, off her iPad. Okay. She's got her iPad going and got it all going. She's going on YouTube. I mean, it's just what? Yeah. Where are they going to be in fifteen years? Yeah. What well, is, yeah, it's just amazing. Yes, this is a discussion. It's not, it's not irrelevant at all to uh, wisdom and spirituality, shall we say? Because as no. much as we're talking about the loss of visceral contact, and remember, you know, you said shaking hands. You remember, you know, what the origin of shaking hands was? Uh, you shook hands with another person to let them know you were not going to take the sword out of the scabbard and kill them. No. Yes, that's the medieval origin of shaking hands. That. <laughs> They invented this system whereby you would actually put your hand forward instead of your knife or your sword, and the person knew you were not an enemy. And, and isn't that interesting? I mean, it's sort of like um, that's the ultimate of visceral communication. You know? yeah. Like, let me shake your hand rather than stab you. Yeah, well, that's what this uh, astrologist <laughs> recommended to me, and I guess people thought I was going to stab him. <laughs> you know, without uh, in some form. Yeah, in some form. Yeah, Verbally, unbelievable. Probably. Unbelievable. Yeah. All right, so uh, your turn to bring up uh, oh. this, this uh, wonderful thing you found. Let's talk about it. Yeah, in, in Brain Pickings, which is a fabulous online uh, journal, they find stuff that is just great. And um, uh, recently there was an article um, which uh, you can find, which was based upon uh, the wisdom of Seneca. Seneca was a, what they call a humanist saint, who lived exactly at the time of Christ. He oh. was born 
Yeah, he was born five years before Christ was born and lived to be about 65 or something, uh, outlived Christ. But obviously was in that world that uh, the Roman, uh, you know, Palestinian nexus. And um, he wrote about time-wasting, amongst many other things. And um, the, the woman who wrote the article, which I don't have her name in front of me, but will get for you out of just pure politeness. Uh, there are lots of quotes, but basically it's about wasting time on... Uh, her name's on, Maria Popova. Wonderful. Maria Popova, right. Popova. Yeah, she picked out... Uh, she makes great comments, but we're not going to talk about them so much as the quotes. Basically, the whole thing is about wasting time and not understanding the preciousness of life, right? And the very first quote she quotes is, It is not that we have a short time to live, but that we waste a lot of it. Life is long enough and a sufficiently generous amount has been given to us for the highest achievements if it were all well invested. But when it is wasted to heedless luxury and spent on no good activity, we are forced at last by death's final constraint to realize that it has passed away before we knew it was passing. So it is. We're not given a short life, but we make it short. And we are not ill-supplied, but wasteful of it. Life is long if you know how to use it. Now, there are many more quotes, but let's just play with that one for a minute, because that really does, it almost links back to what we were just talking about. That here you are texting, schmexting all the time, and suddenly the day's gone. And what Seneca suggested, what he suggested 2,000 years ago, was that life is long enough. It's just that we absorb ourselves in, in nonsense. And then when it comes to crisis, illness, death, all the things that the Buddha saw originally that uh, gave him the, the inspiration to become the Buddha, uh, all those aspects of suffering come as incredible surprises to us because we spent our life um, avoiding going deep, avoiding meditation, avoiding practicing death, uh, all those things that great gurus tell us we should be doing. And then when it does happen, we're just, we're just what they call in England, gobsmacked. We don't know what to do, you know, because we've, quote, wasted all this time. And in an entertainment culture, as we've talked about before, uh, you know, it's like, what's, there's nothing new. My big complaint is, when is Netflix going to give me a new film? I'm sick of this. <laughs> I, I can't watch that film again. And, you know, and PBS keeps repeating these films about the English and India, and I'm sick of it. Well, wait a minute. What about your own incredible powers of imagination and and what Ram Dass taught me was that the powers of imagination taught us all were not just about writing great novels or making great movies or making great songs but were ways of communicating with the one and that's what Seneca's talking about I think what do you think about it? remember time is money <laughs> <laughs> thank you and good night <laughs> um yeah, well, he was, uh, obviously, this is uh, hitting out at that concept, you know, uh, what, a couple of thousand years ago? Yes. Uh, that people, people don't change. I mean, even into ancient times right. in relation to this. And it reminds me of, uh, put it in even a bigger perspective. Uh, I, I had this uh, amazing teaching from Kalu Rinpoche, when I was first in India, and it's part of a whole bigger story that I've told before relative to Neem Karoli Baba, um, telling me that this was going to happen. 
But basically, he said, he talked about the preciousness of the human body mm. and to make the most out of that because that, he said, does not happen very often in terms of reincarnation. That uh, y there are many different uh, levels of of spending time once that you leave uh, this particular physical body. Uh, there are many different uh, worlds in which you uh, can take uh, a birth in, and they are, and those, he said, the only place where you can actually completely fulfill uh, union back with who you truly are is on the physical plane, is in the human birth. So he gave a whole thing to me about the preciousness of that and not wasting that away in frivolity. Basically what he's saying right here and calling it time. Mm. So uh, this is a very, very difficult uh, concept for us because, and going back to what you said before when we were talking about what's happening with digital media and all that, and you talked about, boy, there's one thing that we just naturally have a propensity towards, which is entertainment. And uh, we want to, you know, you talked about entertainment where you, you know, there's no communication. But it's also entertainment as a way to just uh, stave off boredom. And, and we all do it daily. And if it isn't uh, whatever television shows that we're currently into, if it's not sports... Uh, if it's not video games, uh, if it's not, uh, you know, alcohol or drugs or whatever, there's a way in which we are staving off that ultimate, uh, the ultimate thing that we need to confront, maybe it's a little too dramatic a, wor a word, but we need to at least admit that we are in great fear of boredom. And... And so it, it, our addiction could be uh, in terms of our career and money. And, um, but if you have at least one foot on the path, uh, you understand, of course, that the, this is empty and there's no way that there's any satisfaction going to come from that. Uh, so then one starts to think and become a lot more aware of our relationship with time and boredom. And uh, so, uh, you know, I think that uh, it's funny he brought this up. It's a, it's, it's a modern, as you can see, this is not something, this is historically, we have been dealing with this forever. Yeah, and the uh, Romans, as opposed to the Greeks, were invested in entertainment, brutal entertainment. Yeah. We all know about the Oh, Coliseum yeah, football's the, not brutal. Well, football doesn't actually, you know, put a head in your head in the mouth of a, 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 a lion. Oh, yeah. I mean, so in that sense, but I mean, I think what Seneca was talking about was the enormous um, sort of indulgent belief of the, of the, you know, Roman elite who had, you know, warm baths and they had orgies and they had massive feasts and they weren't, didn't seem to be, and remember Seneca also was, forced to commit suicide, just as Socrates had in, in the previous Greek culture, he was branded a traitor hmm. because he made these statements. And he did, in fact, have to commit suicide uh, because they, they made him. 
uh, according to at least to whatever historical knowledge you have. So this business of having to entertain yourself and leave and, and, and leave your inner world behind and just be completely obsessed with the outer world has been at least 2,000 years in the making, if not a lot more. Yeah, well, you can talk about, uh, obviously, at the point at which these philosophers espoused consciousness, awareness, right? I mean, uh, at that point, yeah. then you can say, well, it's been going on since then, because uh, before that, it was probably just survival, and there wasn't consciousness. Uh, but uh, you go all the way back to these cave paintings, and it looks like you know people certainly had consciousness, and they were... They were painting their dreams. They were painting um, aspirations and so on. What's uh, do you have another? I oh, love there are this many. Seneca. There are many of them. I mean, but I just try and choose something. That's, um, it, another aspect of this is um, he says people are frugal in guarding their personal property, but as soon as it comes to squandering time, they are most wasteful of the one thing in which it is right to be stingy. To those who squander their time. You know, he offers an unambiguous admonition. He says, you are living as if destined to live forever. Isn't that the truth? Your own frailty never occurs to you. You don't notice how much time has already passed, but squander it as though you had a full and overflowing supply of it. Though all the while, that very day which you are devoting to somebody or something may be your last. You act like mortals in all that you fear and like immortals in all that you desire. How late it is to begin really to live just when life must end. How stupid to forget your mortality and put off sensible plans to our 50th and 60th years, aiming to begin life from a point at which few have arrived. And this is true of us now, isn't it? I mean, you know, uh, I, I, I'm as guilty as anybody else. I'm sure when I was 25 or something, you know, I wasn't thinking about, okay, how am I going to deal with mortality? Uh, and I'm not sure how many cultures would teach younger people to be in that, and to be in that consciousness. But I do know this: that most people in the West, when it comes to illness and death, are shocked and surprised, and and hurt, not just by the pain and the suffering, but hurt by the seeming unfairness and cruelty of it. I mean, where are you, God? Well, you know, as Ramdas used to say, "Are you out to lunch?" You know, uh, because I, I, I suddenly have this terrible suffering. And I think what Seneca is suggesting is that um, there is Muriel Spark, the novelist also, the modern novelist, was often talking about, I must practice this, even though I don't want to. I've got to practice, somehow practice the, the process of passing. And that's the ultimate part of it. But the existential part of it is, you know, instead of, of being entertained, uh, you know, because it's certainly not what you would call an entertainment to sit at the feet of Carla Rinpoche, uh, as you did, one of the most wise and amazing human incarnations ever. That's not really entertainment. It's it is entertaining on one level, but it's really divesting your your um, your distractions and listening to a great teacher who will then guide you on the way to spending more time exploring what is immortal within you, which leads a good segue, which we're both practiced at, which leads me to ask you to talk about uh, the other thing um, you were going to talk about, um, which is uh, what? I've forgotten, but it, 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 the segue is there. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens when you get older. Um, you, you know, uh, yes, yes. Uh, the, you know this wonderful talking. article by Norman Fisher, 
that uh, actually was suggested on Facebook by Roshi Joan Halifax. That's where I found oh. it. Okay, so there's a there's the positive side mm-hmm. of digital communication. Right? I wouldn't have known about this. I mean, I might have come across it in in a magazine or something, but uh, so uh, this is. Yes, this is this is very interesting, and uh, it's an article about. Uh, he's a Zen abbot, as is Roshi, and it's an article about their Zen has no teachers. Okay, mm-hmm. and it's all about, uh, and and it really it's 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 a conversation I had on a podcast with, who was it with uh, Duncan Trussell and Roshi. Uh, when we were in Maui at one of these retreats within the last year or so. And um, I'll get more to what she said at that point, but let me just uh, say a little bit about what Norman is talking about, which I immediately, by the way, I was like, what bullshit? You know, I completely dismissed it. Um, uh, He says, one of my favorite Zen stories is about teachers. The great Zen teacher Huang Bo strides into the hall and says to the assembled monastics, You people are all dreg slurpers. Okay, do I love that word? Okay, dreg slurpers. It's kind of like Larry David's schmohawks, which I love as well. So now I'm going to, this is, a, we can call people dreg slurpers. If you go okay. on like this, when will you ever see today? See today, be here now. Don't you know that in all of China there are no teachers of Zen? A monastic comes forward and says to him, Then what about all these people like you who set up Zen places that students flock to like birds? Huang Bo replies, I don't say there is no Zen, only that there are no teachers. And he says, I've never been attracted to Zen masters or gurus, powerful and charismatic spiritual guides. There may or may not be actually such special people. But in any case, I have never been interested in them. I assume that I know what I need to know for living my life. And that when I need to know more, I will find it out for myself. No wisdom or experience that isn't my own is worthwhile. That's where I went. Are you fucking out of your mind? (laughs) And by the way, I think Norman Fisher is one of the great teachers that we have in this country, okay? I was completely reactive. Mm. I've asked myself, what's the point of spiritual teachers? What benefit could possibly be gained from hanging around some supposed sage if somebody else's enlightenment is never going to rub off on me? That's when I started to th- think a l- back a little bit about, okay, what am I reacting to here? And uh, in in the case of, uh, as many of you know, because we did a podcast last week around my trip to India and meeting this Baba in the jungle, Safari Jungle, Jungle Safari, rather, uh, podcast. Um, I have to say, two levels of this. On one case, I would say to you that being with this extraordinary being, I was able to to meet my own, my true self. 
in a way that I, I, I would describe it as that I just wasn't thinking. I tell people, when they say, well, what would you get out of it? Well, I just wasn't thinking about myself. In fact, I had very little thought about anything. I was truly, as uh, Ramdas would say, in the moment. I, was, I had burrowed into the moment as a result of this being living in that place himself. And uh, it did rub off. It did rub off. In the same breath, what is the use of this experience if uh, I didn't, if uh, when I came back home, I wasn't jumping to be angry and get into a fight with my wife or something like that? What was the use of it if it is not put into practice? And to put it into practice is to engage it deep within yourself. So I started to, uh, shall we say, look askance at my own immediate reactivity around this concept that uh, teachers don't do shit for you. And ultimately, you know, it's it's about uh, um, getting, you get what you need to live your life and uh, you find out for yourself how to turn it around. So it's there's a dual thing going on here. And I had this conversation with Roshi on that podcast. And it was, uh, it was about the path that I am on, that we are on, being the path of bhakti, which assumes duality, subject-object. Uh, and, and she said, eventually... To become completely free, you would have to give that up. And I don't disagree with that. And I said to her, well, okay, I guess you've done an, a billion other uh, uh, incarnations already, and I'm like way behind you, so uh, it'll take me a while to catch up, Roshi. And she laughed and made uh, you know, made fun of me. Um, uh, so I... So he says, I was at the Zen Center to study Zen. I had my reasons for wanting to do that. Since the teachers were in charge, I would cooperate with them. But whatever benefit or understanding or enlightenment I got was my own affair. No one else could give it to me or even lead me to it. So that's where I completely, utterly disagree with Norman. um, That no one else could give it to me, I agree with but leading me by virtue of uh, sitting with Neem Karoli Baba back in the day um, and, and having that, uh, being able to be in those moments where they're uh, uh, of transformation by virtue of the power of his um, non-dual being that, mm. and his unconditional love, that has stayed with me from that time in, and I've gone in and out of, uh, of, of, of that realization uh, at that experience uh, but absolutely uh, that has had an effect that has led me to me so uh, so do you get Dave that there the, yeah I think your analysis I can't really add to because I agree entirely with it because if someone said to me, you know, you don't need any guides, you didn't need any in your life, all you had to look at, I never even looked inside once before I had guides, really. I mean, it's crazy. It's like uh, to say, 
that a catalyst is actually irrelevant to someone who needs a catalyst in order to grow. I mean, that, that doesn't make sense. I'm sure if Norman Fisher were sitting here, he'd say, no, that's not what I mean. I mean that Buddha nature is something you find yourself. Yeah, as you just said, Raghu, that's true. But to say that no one can guide you to it or lead you to it is not true for me because I'm looking at my own life and thinking, well, you know, I don't think I was ever a totally unconscious person. But until I came to people, teachers in my 20s, actually, actually earlier, um, you know, when I was reading Meister Eckhart when I was at school and uh, my father was, was teaching me about Gurdjieff and so forth. Uh, if my father hadn't have spoken about Gurdjieff to me, I would never have even heard of him, you know. So, and, and I did get a lot from Gurdjieff when I was in my late teens and early 20s. And Ramdas, and of course, um, through him, uh, Neem Karoli Baba and, and others have taught me to not waste time and, and get to the point and, and start to meditate and start not to be so self-absorbed and all of that. So I, I you know, um, Krishnadas frequently at the end of his kirtan will ask us to pay tribute to those that came before us. And he's right on there. Because he's literally saying at the end of this wonderful experience we have of chanting, this, this, this rather easy way to, uh, to get to uh, bhakti love and, and so on, um, would not have happened if these teachers had not been there to teach us. Otherwise, why are they on the planet? To just, you know, become enlightened themselves. And not one of them ever says that. They all say the same thing, that I've come back, taken an incarnation to try and help uh, alleviate the suffering of division and of, uh, you know, and of, of the normal uh, ins and outs of life. So, yes, guidance is necessary for a schmuck like me. I, I would have just been, you know, constantly uh, trying to be Rod Stewart or something. I don't know. A drag I mean, I, slurper I, like you. Yeah, well, I find that expression a little... <laughs> <laughs> but but you know he, I, I'm sure if, if Fisher were Norman Fisher he'd find an argument to say that you know original mind can only be found by your own mind, whereas I say my heart opened when Ramdas uh, when I first met him and when I first read the book which I no longer have to name the title of because so many of you out there know exactly what we're talking about that you know that was something that opened my heart and made me understand that I was not alone and that I was part of a continuum that I would never have had any faintest uh, involvement or absorption in. So, yes, the teacher cannot give you your original mind because it is your original mind, but it is, in fact, universal. So, um, mm. uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm very glad you, uh, you made these distinctions here because usually we just agree blindly with these great teachers but yeah. sometimes they say things and you think well i don't know that wasn't so true of me it's like people who say psychedelics are bad they make you blah 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 i know that if i hadn't been involved in psychedelics in the late 60s i would have been nowhere i would have continued to be depressed would have continued to think that i was alone that when i that there was nothing else except my own anxieties and that my world was very narrow and small whereas one hit took me into deep deep, deep inquiry and, and, and a feeling of love and connectedness with the world. Mm. And so I thank Mr. Hoffman, Dr. Hoffman, Dr. Leary, and all the other shaman that, that helped me, for instance, get to a, a, a deeper place. Yeah. He quotes the Heart Sutra, All dharmas are empty. Zen is empty. 
empty of content, empty of doctrine, style, or faith that can be codified and defined. So what is there to teach? Hmm. So you know what that made me think? In this conversation I had with Roshi, she actually uh, she talked about Neem Karoli Baba because I said, "What is he? You've been friends with Ramdas for so long. I mean, so close. I mean, I see you guys together. You're like brother and sister, really. Mm. So, what do you get from Neem Karoli Baba?" And she said, "When I look at his picture, you look into his eyes." I see emptiness, and I get that he is a completely empty being, and that's the source of his unconditional love, something like that. I, I mean, certainly she talked about the emptiness. And so when I say, so what is there to teach? Well, Maharaji didn't teach anything, mm. but we absolutely knew one billion percent that he was empty. And that love that was existent there, he wasn't doing anything, he wasn't sending it, he wasn't, there was no uh, volitional uh, exercise, uh, never mind teaching. He wasn't saying, here, I, you know, I, I love you. There was no duality. And that lack of duality, well, it's not the right word, the emptiness of duality, which is the empty of content, empty of doctrine, empty of style, faith, all of it was the source of the uh, the ability to love unconditionally that without that i don't we wouldn't have anything ramdas mm. wouldn't have come back and talked about shit and be here now would not have happened uh, so that so what is there to teach there's nothing to teach but there certainly is something to sit with with this being now you know um Maybe teaching is the wrong word. Really. Osmotic, or, or you know, that it just you know, it just comes to you through darshan. And you know, from my experience with His Holiness, um, speaking in 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 in, in uh, a foreign language with uh, Jinpak translating perfectly, but my experience was just, wow, I'm so glad to be in this room with this being. You know, mm. um, I, I mean, it, yep. it just exudes, Simple. and I feel it because the commitment on one's part to be in that room. Is part of the deal, the dynamic that you are you are humble enough, hopefully, to understand that you don't get it all, and no matter how, how exalted you are, you can. As we've learned recently, you go back to this Jobs and Zuckerberg, you know that story. If it is indeed true, I'm not sure Walter Isaacson wrote about that in his book about Jobs. It's just too big for me to read. I don't have time to do that. But what he said to Zuckerberg was, if you want to clarify your confusion, Mark. Go to this little temple in the foothills of the Himalayas, and you will find peace. No, that's he, Steve Jobs. You know, wasn't that what he said? No, Zuckerberg. Uh, I don't know about what's in that Isaacson book because I also couldn't finish it. Uh, right. I'm still trying. Uh, but Zuckerberg said to Prime Minister Modi a few weeks ago while I was in right. India. Right. Uh, he said, "When I was going through a rough patch, Steve." who was my mentor, told me to go to this temple in India that he had gone to in 1974, just right. after Maharaji left his body. Uh, so it's absolutely true. And yeah. uh, it is, is uh, certainly... At some point, just to lighten this up for a minute, 
we should put on the website or something when we when we develop our our progressed version of the website and the app which is coming uh, we should show a little film by APB I think it's called India Television uh, where we see the Prime Minister of India and we see Jobs and we see Zuckerberg and we see the exalted Raghu Marcus talking <laughs> on Indian television about this. All right, well, wait I a minute. Did it yesterday. It's you great. know what? Did, it's great. We have it subtitled now. Do you know that? No. What is it called? Yeah. Oh, you do? Somebody, uh, and, and uh, a good friend of Ramdas's, uh, went in and translated the Hindi. And so we now have it subtitled. It's going out today. Should we put, we'll put it up on, on MindPod Network on our wisdom uh, we section. Definitely should okay. Do it's that. so cool and fun. No, um, it's great. We should also put up, well, I don't know whether you want to, but the, the Kirtan you did with the Baba. Mm. And and uh, Gaga, it's just, I just saw it, and it's just absolutely wonderful. And again, that's another thing. That's what does it for me. I can be in the grossest, most cranky mood. It happened to me yesterday. I was cranky over something which was so trivial, but it was there. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw at the far end of my apartment a particular picture of Neem Kareli Baba that Mohan Baba gave me many years ago. And it was twinkling at me. Now, you can say you're crazy, you didn't really see nothing, you're just a lunatic. But I saw it. It doesn't matter if I saw it or not. I, I changed. Instantaneously, I went, ah, come on, Dave, stop getting cranky about this nonsense. You're looking at, you, you've, you've actually been fortunate enough to come into contact with these beings who are there precisely to help you get away from this nonsense that you absorb your stupid life with. <laughs> um, you know, um, I cannot in any way say that I would have come to this, you know. I mean, people say, uh, and it's true, how fortunate we are, how incredibly fortunate we are to have come into contact with some of these beings, uh, you know. And I was telling my younger daughter yesterday on the phone, who's got very little involvement with any of this, um, I was trying to explain to her my feelings about this. And when I got off the phone, I almost cried because for the first time, in many years, she said, you know, I'm going to follow up. And it was just a great thing for me, you know, to, to hear my daughter who's very pragmatic and very, you know, sort of, it's got to be in front of me to believe in it. Yeah. I guess I spent enough time over an hour on the phone with her uh, talking about mindfulness and Roshi Joan and various other people and explaining to her that these were people of high intellect. These were not puppets, although we're all puppets, but... They're not puppets of blind uh, addiction to something that is unreal. They're intelligent people. Uh, you're not going to find too many people who were as bright, at least in the conventional world, as, as Ramdas and Leary at Harvard. And yet, uh, we saw what happened to Richard Alpert and and how he used his intellect to go beyond the intellect. My daughter finally sort of agreed that this was worth investigating. So what a miracle. And it yeah. made my day. I, mm. I just, I, oh, I mean, I put beautiful. the phone down. And I was like, oh, God, I've waited so long for this. Yeah, that's this lovely. Is, wow, you didn't tell me that. That's really great. To well, hear. I just remembered it, yeah. you know. Um, but just seeing Maharaj at the other end of my apartment twinkling at me, mm. whether it's my imagination, as Rhonda says, what is your imagination to begin with? It's a transaction. It's a transaction with past, present, and future realities on all planes. Mm. If you're lucky enough to get involved with it, you are not just in fantasy. Right. Um, and Norman, and we'll we'll close here with uh, this last uh, quote of his because it it basically redeems all of the contradictory thing that I have about his some of his statements. Um, 
and like I say, it's way more complex. And uh, my first reaction, I certainly got over as I read through. Um, he says, and one of the characteristic and essential Zen practices is the one-on-one -on -one meeting with the teacher, which is viewed not as a reporting in or asking for advice, but as a Dharma encounter. And here's the key, a chance to meet oneself by meeting another. It's what you just said, and mm. everything you just said uh, is, is, is pretty much this chance to meet oneself by meeting another. It's what happened to me when I spent those few days in the jungle. It's what happened to me uh, when I was with uh, Neem Karoli Baba Maharaji. It's what happened to me when I was with Ananda Maima or Kalu Rinpoche or His Holiness. This is such an important thing, and I... And I, we're, and it was nice to sort of get, okay, Norman, we are completely in agreement. Like he could give a <laughs> shit about it, uh, and uh, but but it's nice to be on the same page with somebody whose whose tradition and his practice is really the highest in my mind level of spiritual of following the spiritual path, of discarding the subject object stuff and just going in and realizing the true nature of one's mind. I, I, I don't, I honestly, I'm glad, I, I actually would say to you, I'm glad that's not my path, because that's a steep hill, okay? Mm. Um, and I'm glad that I met Neem Karoli Baba. I'm glad I met these other beings. I'm glad I was t two weeks ago in a jungle with this being, uh, having this stuff rubbed off to remind me of that. And I need that. And as I said to Roshi, you know, maybe in another billion lifetimes I'll get there, you know, we'll get there. So, but I think that the chance to meet oneself by meeting another uh, mm. is is the byword for just about every, it's, it's, it's what we talked about with this whole digital thing and the angst about what we're losing by not meeting together physically. It's take that to the nth degree of sitting with somebody who is absolutely not bound, and you can become unbound by that boundlessness. Mm. I love that, Dave. That's almost That's a poem. Cool. That is great. <laughs> That's it, folks, for t t today, Mind Rolling Podcast. We haven't done this in a while right. because I've been away, and uh, we did a little of it introducing the uh, the rumble in the jungle, that's what we should call it, right? <laughs> right. Safari. Right. Uh, and uh, we had some interviews with people before that. We're going to have some great interviews coming up, by the way. But um, David and I enjoy this probably more than anything we do because it gives yeah. us that opportunity to just hang and do this stuff. So thanks for listening. Um, and we love your feedback. Keep giving us the feedback. Uh, either write, uh, I don't know where, go to uh, comments on MindPod Network and go to Mind Rolling. Yes. comment and uh, keep the support up and uh, we love you and see you next week thank you dave bye bye <laughs> <laughs>